0: This is Beyond BC, a podcast illuminating the professional careers and accomplishments from members of the Berkeley Carroll Schools alumni community. I'm your host, Tim Quinn, class of 2005. In this episode, I'll be interviewing Devin Gilmartin, class of 2016. Devin is the co-founder and president of Carentia Studio, a fashion brand focused on addressing the United Nations sustainable development goals through their supply chain and process. One of the company's ventures, the Canvas, brings together retail and real estate opportunities for emerging sustainability and tech-focused designers to create sustainable fashion hubs and community spaces. They have previously hosted a location in Manhattan and currently operate in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, as well as their newest location in Antwerp, Belgium, that opened in January 2020. Devin is also currently pursuing his bachelor's degree from New York University. Devin, thanks for joining the show. Thank you for having me. Now... I was thinking about when we had caught up earlier, and you were telling me about a really profound experience you had back in 2014. It was the fall. You were at Berkeley Carroll, and you were about to go to the Island School. Let's start with that and take us back to then. What were you thinking, and uh, how did that experience change how you viewed your future and, and your career aspirations? So I had just finished my first year at Berkeley Carroll. I was
1: considering applying to SYA France. I, w- I was weighing the the pros and cons of either a year in France or a uh, semester at the Island School in Eleuthera in the Bahamas. And when it came down to it, I, I had the opportunity to go with the Bahamas, and, and that was certainly the right choice for me. I was a relatively unmotivated student in, in school up until that point. But what the school clearly provided was a chance to really reflect and consider where one was in, 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 their, in their life at that point. And that's a really rare opportunity, I think, for any high school student.
0: And so for me, if I'm in 10th grade, I'm thinking about the Bahamas. It sounds like a great time. Right. But I understand the experience is way different. It was, um, it was you were kind of integrated into things. And there was, there was an opportunity for you to learn about sustainability. Absolutely.
1: it's the, the the guiding question of the school is how do we live well in a place? And you are really thrown into that environment where you're considering every aspect of your daily life. You're up at six in the morning, you are preparing for a half marathon and a super swim at the end of the 100-day experience, and everything in between that from uh, math class focused on solar efficiency and, and water usage on the campus to science and scuba diving. It It is just really a different way of looking at the, the common educational experience. So, out of the box in every way
0: sounds fascinating, and so you you go to the island school and you come back how How do things proceed from there? Do you immediately start going down a different line of thinking and and exploring what a new career path could be?
1: I think as I started doing internships. Before the Island School, one thing that occurred to me was there was this buzzword of sustainability in fashion. I had been interested in fashion. I was working a bit at a brand called Rochambeau, and then I had done a few internships here and there, but really coming out of the Island School experience, I was at the Givenchy show. Uh, it's a, a French couture brand that was hosting uh, a rare show in New York City, and I had the opportunity to go. And as uh, myself and, and the entire crowd are, are leaving uh, the show, there's a flood of people going back towards Chelsea. And as this flood of people is going, the taxis are, are sort of getting rounded up and, and they're full. Um, there's no way to get there other than to either run or jump in a taxi with someone. So I stopped uh, a taxi. I knocked on the door thinking, you know, perhaps uh, this person is going to Milk Studios where the next show was. And I, my plan was to sneak into that show. And this woman opened the door and and let me in and and said, uh, you know, fine, come with me. And we had a 10-minute conversation on, on that Ride, and um, by the end of it, she was an intern at Milk Studios, and she offered me the opportunity to come in and, and sit for an interview with them. And I had the chance because of the the credits that I had earned at the mm-hmm. Island School to graduate Berkeley Carroll a semester early and work at Milk Studios for those last six months of high school.
0: That that sounds like that sounds like a like a decent bit of luck there. Definitely. So when you're at Milk Studios, what, what did you learn uh, during that period, and where did it take you? So
1: the the thing that I was focused on there was really social media and content creation which is a huge part of the fashion industry today and I was I was running their Instagram and and doing a lot on Twitter and Facebook and when you get a sense of the energy that when you put up a post or an article you see the reactions you see how people play into it it's a big part of our politics today the the emotions that come up you learn how to sort of use that and do good with it which is how i see what fashion can be it can be a a medium for inspiration and providing a sort of different perspective on, on what this garment and, and what this um, industry can be. And, and that can provide context for change on a broader scale. So my time at Milk was really focused on social media and impact in, in that manner. I think going into fashion and, and starting our own brand, that's been a big focus. H- how do we use social media and, and the energy of our audience sure. to, to go in the right direction? And so you have your own company right now. Why don't you tell us a
0: little bit about that?
1: So um, coming out of the Island School, I was introduced to my co-founder and CEO of Currency Studio, Tegan, and she and I had a conversation really focused on revamping the school's uniform program at Mm -hmm. the time, getting it more in line with their sustainability initiatives. And that conversation sort of tumbled into, you know, if we're going to do this, we might as well start a larger project. um, it's going to take up a ton of time. We should make some of our own t-shirts and see how people react, and see if we can get them in in the hands of people that have a, an audience already, and try to promote the message that we're we're creating with this with project. Um, from that, we were able to get some traction. We were able to get some celebrities wearing the pieces, and it turned into an opportunity to really grow the fashion side. We brought on a lead designer, Kate, who was um, one of the youngest and first Americans to show on the Eiffel Tower. We've built a team from from this energy, from Very this cool. from this perspective on fashion.
0: And if, if I was thinking about how to start, say, my own fashion company, I frankly wouldn't even know where to start in terms of getting the material together and, and all of that kind of like the operational stuff. Right. Did you just learn that on the fly, or did you have anybody who kind of mentored you along the way?
1: I think part of it was that we are all – quite resourceful. And we we, sure. we go about finding the best way to do things and the most efficient way to do it. And the other thing that was happening in the fashion industry in general was there was this renewed focus on sustainability. So businesses like Fabscrap, which go around and collect fabric waste and dead stock material from larger high-end designers in New York City, they were opening up a warehouse at the time. So one of the first things we did was we go and volunteer three hours at a time. We pick up a certain amount of fabric for free, and we use those stocks in our collections. Um, so that saves us money, and it also allows Fab Scrap and in their, in their um, uh, start of their business to to grow. And I think a lot of people have have been focusing on that, using dead stock material. And sure. we were one of the first ones to to really jump in on that in New York City. I think so. That's that's really how we started as far as materials go.
0: And taking a step back even further, the what at least my understanding is about the, the clothing industry at large and, and merchandise is that it really contributes to a degradation of um, of the environment. Yeah. And people often think about food and the way that, that process in that industry, especially as it relates to, to meat and cattle and so on, right. uh, the damage that that can cause. But people don't often think about, about the clothing side of it. Tell me a little bit about uh, that side of it, the environmental impact and, and why there is this focus on bringing sustainability to that industry.
1: So I think there's a, a common misconception that fluttered around very quickly because of a couple of sound bites that fashion is the world's second most polluting industry. Mm-hmm. And while that's a very tempting idea and that it sounds really nice and that it sounds like this big problem that we should all conquer it's not quite as clear as that and the industries that are involved in making a fashion product are a lot more complicated it's it's agriculture it's transportation Mm -hmm. and vanessa friedman of the new york times recently sort of debunked that myth through a series of who said what it was a, was a giant telephone game and what they came to was that while Fashion is severely hurting the environment and the planet. We need to establish a better framework for figuring out what's true and what's not. The fact that this was a soundbite from you know, some fashion blogger mm-hmm. who repeated mm-hmm. it and then it sort of caught on that in and of itself is a bad representation of how right. information gets stored. The distorted. sign of the times. Exactly. And we see it in many other places. Right. But again, that goes back to say that fashion is really a reflection of our times and a reflection of our our world. And I think we need to pay close attention to the way that we adapt and um, improve the fashion industry.
0: How, how do you look at how products are priced and making sure that um, things that are sustainable and, and in line with fashion and appeal to people also are actually affordable and so people can enjoy it.
1: So I think there's a uh, a common misconception about sustainable fashion in that it's granola or it's expensive. So sure. it's either boring and dull or it's it's just uh, out of a, a common fair price range. And I think that does stem from the truth that making... Better materials and and paying people more is, of course, going to be more expensive. But at this point, this is where the consumer needs to meet the producer halfway. We need to have a conversation about what is appropriate for a a t shirt. But when you go into HM and you go into Zara Mm -hmm. and you have no transparency on what it actually took to make a product, but it's seven dollars, it's ten dollars, one can know that the amount of time and effort that went into making that product is not being uh, fairly. Backed by by this giant conglomerate,
0: or or the cost is incurred somewhere
1: else. Exactly, and and that's another problem. You when you're a uh, a fashion brand or you're you're in a supply chain, you have to make the decision at some point. Do you want to make a cheaper product, but support a potentially third world country mm-hmm. um, where this is the only line of work? And a lot of people like to simplify this problem. They like to say. You know these people aren't getting anything. It's not enough, and mm-hmm. it certainly is not enough. And there's policy and political changes that need to take place in those countries and in those towns where that's happening. But at the same time, it is one of the only opportunities they have. So when you remove
0: those opportunities abruptly and you Absolutely. say cut it off, Absolutely. that's that's a problem as well. Right. Yeah, the, the standards that we have. You say in this country, right. aren't necessarily the standards exactly. to apply elsewhere. Exactly. So when I think about your company and your efforts, again, I think about the, the certainly the fashion side. I also think about the sustainability side. When you're deciding what uh, how a product should look, how, does does one kind of win out over the other, or how do you how do you um, manage that balance? Is that something you wrestle
1: with on it's, an ongoing basis? It's a great question, and I think it's the first question that any person designing clothing needs to tackle because the parameter for that piece of clothing should be sustainability right and then comes the question what is sustainability mm-hmm. what what are you actually saying and i think it's about being responsible for the decisions you're making and you can't be responsible for the the final product if you don't know the cut and is mm-hmm. it zero waste? How mm-hmm. much fabric are you wasting if you need to waste it? And where mm-hmm. is that fabric going to go afterwards? Can you reuse it in some format? Can you donate it to a um, exchange program or a donation center like Goodwill, for example? Although there are, are plenty of other ways to do that, there it's the fact that the questions are being asked in the first place. If you don't ask those questions, then you can't be responsible for the, the
0: end product. So. Do you almost have a, a checklist in a sense that you go through or a certification in a way that, that you look to to determine, make sure that something's indeed sustainable by by your standards?
1: Yes. And in, in our canvas side of the business, we we ask that every brand that we partner with identifies at least one of the United Nations sustainable development goals in their mm-hmm. supply chain and design process. So for us, this sort of opens what is sustainability. It allows a brand that Uh, Maybe they're making bags and they have a different design process than a fashion brand would, but they're able to say uh, a percentage of our proceeds are going back to whatever it might be, uh, one of those 17 causes. Uh, the watch I'm wearing now is a vegan leather watch. They're uh, a London-based company called Votch. They they have um, countless initiatives where they're focused on where they're getting their mater- materials. They're focused on uh, where a percentage of their profits are going back to. And they're able to articulate that in a pretty detailed way when they're applying to be a part of our, our store. So we ask that every brand does this. And that's sort of how we um, assess the, the viability of, of the brand and, and
0: their alignment with those goals. That's really interesting. One thing that I, I've been thinking about as you're speaking is that probably a big part of your role and your your company's role is there's this education, educating uh, people on sustainability right. and your mission. How does that play into your day to day and how much time does it take for you?
1: I think education is ultimately going to be the most important part of this uh, solution. We need to make sure that we're sure. informing the people that walk into the store about what, what it is that is in front of them. Uh, we do this mm-hmm. primarily with the tagging system that we have. We have the 17 goals laid out and we have check marks for the boxes that each goal addresses. So we're, we're really trying to be as transparent as possible with the way that each brand makes their clothing. But on the messaging level, this is where social media, I think, has a big role yeah. now because we use social media as really the the medium for the message. And if we can mm-hmm. communicate properly where we're also coming up short, I think going back to transparency, this needs to be a part of the conversation as a brand as well. We need to be acknowledging where we're not able to take the steps that we want to take and sort of detailing uh, potential solutions to those problems. And I think not excluding the people that are taking those steps but aren't quite there yet is an important thing to do as well.
0: Absolutely. And so if you were to project out, let's say, 15, 20 years from now, it it feels like the society's been catching on at almost like an exponential rate. and and i think government action lags behind I, I think private sector is doing a lot of work how do you think? So- how do you see things evolving from a consumer perspective 15 20 years down the line do you do you think that say most clothing that people wear would will actually be sustainable
1: at that point it comes down to what are we defining as sustainable yeah, in course. that era because really sustainability is about sustaining and and keeping life and i think when it comes down to it life itself is what we are trying to keep here a lot of people when when it comes to the climate change conversation will forget that ultimately it's humans that we are trying to save the earth will replenish it will <laughs> be here it's not going anywhere so this conversation of we need to save save the planet, planet earth, you hear a lot yeah we, we forget <laughs> all quiet. of a sudden that we're the ones really that we're trying to save because never thought about that and, and and that's where I think this conversation gets warped. We need to realize there's a selfish sure. um, aspect to this. and that's, Maybe more persuasive that way, right? Right. And perhaps it will be. So 15, 20 years from now, I think people will probably have realized it by now. The, the heat that we're seeing, even this summer, it's record-breaking day mm-hmm. after record-breaking mm-hmm. day. At some point, it will become a reality. People won't be able to uh, lie.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Sweat is, you feel it. It's real.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And... I think at that point it will be so obvious that we've taken things too far that we'll need to figure out the right steps to counter things a lot faster than we sure. otherwise would have if we had taken action when we when we really needed to.
0: Now tell me more about your company and um certain things are going on with it. I know you were traveling recently, you're in Amsterdam. Um, Tell us a little bit about those trips that you've been taking, how it's rooted in in, um, certain activity for the firm and strategy.
1: So we, about a year ago in June of 2018, we heard that Hunter College had a vacant space, their old bookstore. And we went to them and we said, you know, you don't have a fashion program. We have a a network of, of fashion creatives, really. And we can bring something unique to the space. And in the meantime, we will give you a, a share of the revenue that we're able to bring in. And they accepted that. And we did that for about a year. And and towards the end of that year, we realized that this model of doing revenue shares in vacant spaces might actually be viable on a larger scale. As you sure. walk around New York City, Bowery, Lower East Side, East Village, and, and throughout Brooklyn, you see these large storefronts with phone numbers on them. So we got in the habit of calling those phone numbers and Tegan and I, after a series of conversations we were able to um get a meeting and and really straight up asked for one of the vacant spaces that we had seen we got a no but in that same meeting one of the uh one of the the well, did you asked to there, use it for free well we asked for a <laughs> revenue share and they said that space isn't possible got it um and they got up and and they said come with us and they took us to another space around the corner and that's the space that we now occupy, oh, there right, go. 132 Bedford Avenue, which is the Canvas Williamsburg. If I were to walk in, what would I see? A- approximately 70 brands that we have from around the world. You'll see the Goodwill Donation Center, which we have in the back. And you will see a global fashion exchange swap shop. And the GFX swap shop is really about taking the the money out of um, being sustainable. It's about trading goods that we already have. So if you have a t-shirt and you bring that in, our sales uh, associates will assess the product you'll get points and to membership systems so you can retain those points, you can spend them right away. Um and,
0: and you can essentially trade clothing with um within the store. That's great. On a day-to-day basis, what would you say is what's the most enjoyable part of your job and what what's just like what what's the hardest part about it? The most enjoyable
1: part is definitely at this point the fact that we are working with um 70 brands from around the world. We have international partners, we're dealing with um, just a, a global community. And I think at the same time, the, the answer to the other side of that question is the same. It's sure. the fact that we can get calls and, and emails at 2, 4, 5 in the morning. Yep. And we have to deal with that. But it, it comes with, with the uh, with the program. It's really something that we embrace at this point because it's allowed us to really travel anywhere and feel like we, we have a home there. Um, yeah. Or we have a group of people that's ready to embrace us.
0: And and picking up on the, the idea of the, the travel. Is there is there a certain country or region that's the most fertile ground for this type of work, where the consumers are especially receptive, or or maybe even something about the society or the government is? I think that
1: our recent moves w- would say that we feel very comfortable in moving into places like Amsterdam and mm-hmm. Antwerp, and we do have some expansion plans coming for those locations, and I think a lot of that is due to great bilateral relations between the countries. Sure. Um, you can't discount that but the european union in general is paying close attention to climate change mm-hmm. and uh, as is the united nations so i think where we need to see more of this energy is is in the united states on, on a policy level and obviously that starts at the top and we don't have that right now mm-hmm. so as as much as the the traveling and the expanding excites us we we do need to focus on home and i think right now we're we're all pretty disappointed by what's happening and and just the lack of of overall care for the urgency of the situation and i think fashion needs to have a role in, in sort of demanding more from from any person
0: yeah absolutely do you ever so it sounds like this is a very uh it's a very positive company and a positive effort do you ever draw attention though to some actors that are, are clearly you know they may be violating um sure not violating but they're not doing their part in a sense or yeah. or are perhaps not disclosing some things that mm-hmm. they should? Is is that part of your overall mission? I think there has been a
1: call-out culture established um, in a lot of different places mm-hmm. in, in our society right now, and I continually find it to be the least effective way yeah. of going about solving problems. So when those situations arise and we feel like actually speaking up and doing something about it is uh, the right choice, we do mm-hmm. so in a way that is usually private and genuine in the sense that we want to help make something better. Of course, there are some situations like um, the government and and policies and sort of the larger scale issues that a general citizen can't touch without the help of others. I think those need to be publicly renounced. And and that's a really good place to do that as a fashion brand. We have a platform and, and we certainly want to use it. But we noticed a think piece come out about we don't need any more sustainable fashion brands and and that's a really nice thing to say because there are plenty of sustainable fashion brands and right, a, you know right. perhaps it's getting crowded in the field but you know that should be for the sustainable fashion brands and those mm-hmm. looking to pursue that course to decide it shouldn't mm-hmm. be someone that's saying we don't need any more of this effort what you're doing when you say that is you're saying people that have ideas and and potential innovations in this field should not act because mm-hmm. there's not enough space i don't think any problem has ever been solved in this mindset
0: well, it's been a pleasure to talk to you and you, uh, we love what you're doing and thanks for stopping by and hopefully we'll watch your success in the coming months. Thank you very much. And thank you uh, to Berkeley Carroll as well. Absolutely. Cheers. For more information on Devin and to stay up to date with the work he and his team are doing at Carentia Studio, including their amazing designs, visit CurentiaStudio.com. That's Q-U-E-R-E-N-C-I-A. Studio.com, or find them on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Beyond BC is a production of the Berkeley Carroll School's alumni office. It is hosted and produced by me, Tim Quinn, and executive produced and edited by Jamie O'Regan. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time as we share more alumni stories beyond BC.